Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. One of the first identifying features that the scriptures outline for belonging to the church is the concept of a family. In Paul's day, the greatest strain on the infant church was the clash of nationalistic and traditional ideologies between Jews and Gentiles. Today we're going to see that God's design for a unified church has to understand their purpose through the lens of a family where we all have equal access to God's love. Thanks for listening. Uh, For those of you who have more than one child in your home, more than one kid that you've raised, you know that there is an amazing uh, paradox, a quandary that happens in the home, which is the ability uh, to have more than one favorite. Isn't that true? Isn't it hard? Now, be honest, right? Of course, you'll have that one that you'll favor in this one particular instance or this one that you really enjoy the most. But if you were to ever ask the question from the children, who do you love the most? It's an impossible answer because I love all my children the most. It's not that I had 100% of love and I have to divide it up so that I only give one percentage to this and another percentage to that. Instead, I give 100% of my love to each of my kids. And there's no way I could choose. And I would imagine as you think about your own family that it's very similar, that you love them each in their unique way, a blessing that God's given you with all that you can give. It's, it's a, a kind of an unexplainable phenomenon. Um, something having to do with the way that love works and that you never run out. And so even though we can't really make sense of how that works, we know it to be true. And the same is true for the church. That you are part of a family and that God is our Heavenly Father. Extends His love, not a percentage, but all of His love. Such that it can go to those who even you and I might not want to spend time around. But before God, his love given to them is an unfathomable type of love. An infinite kind of love. A love without favoritism. A love without division. One of the hardest things that, I have to, that I've had to uh, lose in losing my dad uh, are his hugs. My, my dad gave the best hugs. He didn't always give the best hugs. I forget when uh, it kind of changed for him. I think it was might have been after I went to college, but it just felt like when my dad would give me a hug, he would he'd press his chest right into me. It was the best hug. Micah, come here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my uh, son come up here so I can just give him a quick hug in front of you all. Where are you at? All right, so when Papa used to hug me, he'd go like this. He'd just go, oh, give me my sneeze. Right like that. Now, if I had both kids up here, do you know what you wouldn't do if one was giving you a hug? You wouldn't do this, right? You wouldn't. What would you do with your family? You'd, you'd bring them all in for a great big hug. Thanks, pal. You can sit down. I told him I was going to embarrass him like that this morning. He said that was okay to hug his dad in church. Because here's the amazing thing of what it means to receive that kind of undivided, no favoritism kind of love. It is transformative to receive God's love. And then have a repository of love, having known God's love, such that we can give that same love to one another, transforms humanity. And it begins within God's family. And without the concept of a family, you and I would be left very deficient for the task of loving others. Because do you you know what you have to do in a family? Here it is, right? You have to love each other in the family. 
And now I, I know some of you, maybe even today, are going through times where it's hard to love family members. And you didn't have that memory like I have of those great big hugs from your dad. And so this message for you today is a reminder of knowing the true family that you belong to. The new family that belongs to you by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ. To be reconciled to God and now to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you and I cannot make sense of. That is given to you because you belong to the family of God. I think the hardest place I've seen this type of love is between my kids when it, when it comes time to share. <laughs> now, I won't pick on them. I'll pick on myself because I have a younger sister and I know exactly what it's like to have to share with a younger sister. And it's not just sharing, right? It's having to be patient. It's having to reconcile to say, I'm sorry. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> say from the heart. right it's to learn how to partner alongside one another to serve with one another to know that there is an equal contribution that's found in a family is that true in your home does anyone get to just take a day off in the family everybody has a different role to play even though those roles are tailor-made uniquely for the stage of development and maturity that they're in we all work together all of these traits All of these are available to you by virtue of being part of God's family. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, please take them out. We're going to finish up chapter 3. Today's message is kind of an important one because it's going to conclude for us the entire first half of the book. In fact, it is Paul's conclusion of the prayer that he began back in chapter 1. The Apostle Paul prays in chapter 1 that having the eyes of your hearts opened, you may know God more and more. That you may know the power by which he has extended his love to you. That very same power to be seen evident in the raising of Jesus from the grave. That's the kind of power that has allowed the love of God to be extended to you. And then he traced the whole story that we've studied the last couple of weeks of watching how there are now two different groups that are united into one. Do you remember what they are? Two, what were those groups called? The Jews and the Gentiles. good. The Jews and the Gentiles together are now one man. And then last week we studied how the apostle Paul himself had the re- revelation of God's mystery for the house rules. Do you remember that? The oikonomia, that great Greek word that uh, that allowed the apostle Paul now to deliver with authority. This is how the church should look. In the very same way that in your house, you have rules for your family. Well, guess what? In the church, this is God's house. And there be some rules in God's house. And so the Apostle Paul is going to spend the second half of his letter um, outlining and describing what those rules look like. But before he does, before we get to chapter 4, we get to conclude now with Paul's ending prayer And it's in this prayer that he doxologically, that's a a big word that means to praise God. He looks to God with wonder to to say the love of God is just uh, so vast that he expresses it in glory to God as the conclusion of that opening prayer. I want you to watch for a couple of things. Uh, First of all, I want you to watch how the Trinity shows up in this prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you, I want you to see how the uh, multifaceted uh, engagement that we have with the one 
true living God is found um, in the work and role of the Father, the work and the role of the Son, and the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. So watch for that this morning. Uh, The second thing I want to highlight as we walk through it is that Paul has two sections to the prayer. He's got an an opening portion and then a, a second half that's going to speak specifically to the church, specifically describing our nature. So watch for that as well. Two halves to this ending prayer. We're in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read starting in verse 14. Here we go. Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide And how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's worth an amen, isn't it? Amen. 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 All right. There's there's so much packed into this last concluding prayer. We're going to do our best to break it down. I have four observations for you. Number one, as we're looking at the family, I want you to know that speaking of the church family, your identity is found in your Father in heaven. Your identity. Who am I? is determined, it's sourced, it's viewed, it's understood by looking to God the Father. Now, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to diminish the moms, not least of which my mom, love my mom. But when I was young and going to school, um, I, I, I kind of was an easy target to get teased. I remember that. Uh, you try going to school with the last name Flunker. See how that works out for you. Right? Here's the thing that I would remember. As much as they could tease me, my dad could beat them up if he wanted to. He never would, of course, but as a little kid, I do remember thinking that I wasn't ashamed of my name, even as kids would say, did you fail all your classes? Oh, that was original. Did you come up with that yourself? Heard the same joke over and over and over, but never once did I question my identity because I knew my father. Of course I knew my mother, but I saw my name passed down from him. I want you to know this as well. Your identity is sourced in your heavenly father. Think about the identifying feature for which Jesus offers to his disciples when they ask him, so teach us to pray. Do you remember? He says, here's how you pray. When you pray, say this, our father. How amazing is that pronoun at the beginning, our Father who art in heaven. That you follow in his lineage. 
so that you have your identity sourced in God. Secondly, I want you to see that your family's strength is found in God's spirit. So not only do we have the father mentioned in verse 14, for this reason, before uh, the, I kneel before the father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. But secondly, strength that's provided for us comes from the indwelling of his spirit. Look with me back in verse 16. He says, and I pray that of your glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Uh, that uh, your Bible may say inner man. The, the, the picture here is this. Uh, you inside have an immaterial component to your, to your being. You, you are made physically with a body and you are made immaterially, spiritually with a spirit and a soul. Now, the soul component of you is what works the physical, but it is the spirit that lives in you. Your spirit that allows you to commune and communicate and worship God. Only humans do this. The the human creatures alone have been given uh, image and likeness of God. No other creature on earth has this. And so it is the spirit in you that allows you to connect and worship with God. Here's the problem. Our spirits are woefully shattered and they are corrupted by sin. And so do you know what you need? You need a helper. You need a, you need a paraclete, an advocate, a counselor to come and to live within you. And so the word of God teaches us that our bodies now become temples because God's spirit dwells within you. Now, not only to dwell, but to strengthen you. To be the, listen, the source of your power. If you've ever had uh, the unfortunate incident of having to love somebody who's unlovable, <laughs> come on, be honest, right? They, that's happened at some point. Uh, you can't do it. It's impossible for you. Uh, this same quandary comes up in the Gospels when Peter says, how many times do I got to forgive this brother of mine? Like seven? And what's Jesus say? Seven. A lot more than that. Are you kidding me? Peter thought he was being generous, generous with seven. I can't, I, can't, I can't do it. Listen, you can't do it either unless you're strengthened by God's spirit in your inner being to reframe how you think, your thoughts, your emotions, how you respond to people. Uh, when we worked in the uh, Caribbean, uh, I had a lawnmower that we used to you know, knock down the grass. It's mostly rock there on the island. Uh, but I remember getting it out for Micah because he's my lawnmower. And uh, I was going to get it started, so... It's pull start. I'm like starting to sweat here. Anyone have been there? Anyone been there? I cannot get this darn thing. I mean, I have very spiritual words coming to my mind here as I'm pulling on this, this mower. Can't get it to work. And the problem was the fuel. You know what happens if you let fuel sit in heat forever, right? It's not, it's not going to work. Had to dump out the old. Had to replace it with brand new. Started right up, ran like a top. It was great. The, the fuel in your life is sourced by the power that the Spirit provides. And many times for you, not, you and I, you know what that's going to mean? That's going to mean kind of pouring out the old stinky stuff that doesn't work. And we've all got some of that in our life, right? We've all got the baggage and rubbish of either how we have been treated, which with we want to give an eye for an eye, or even deep wounds that have never really healed. Listen, the Spirit of God is within the family, the source of power and strength for that transforming work. Thirdly, your family's purpose is, this is so great. Here it is. What, what's, the, what's the purpose of this family? 
It's knowing Jesus Christ. And it's knowing his love specifically in a transformative fashion. I want you to look back with me in the text. You'll see in verse 17, the power of the spirit allows, right? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you jump down to verse 19, you'll see that the result of this prayer is to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, right? So these are both transformative acts. To be filled up completely is something that Jesus does for you. For you and I to be privileged to have God dwell through Christ in our hearts is to have our lives transformed. I, uh, just yesterday, uh, I, I got my wife tickets to go see a Broadway musical for her birthday, and so that was yesterday. We drove uh, to Chicago, and we drove back. A little bit of a long trip there. Um, but here's the amazing thing that happens. When my wife uh, dwells in the car totally transforms the car, right? When I'm in there, all I need is directions. That's all I need. I, good to go. Let's get there. Maybe, maybe some water. But if you put my wife in the car, you know what she brings? She's got gum and Tic Tacs, games for the kids, snacks. Now, some of you are like, well, duh. That's easy. Who, who, what, what mom doesn't have gum, right? Hold on. She's got pillows and blankets. Changes of clothes for the kids. More snacks. She's got extra water. She brings extra USB chargers for all the phones and the kids' devices and more snacks. She also sets the music to all the right presets. She gets her side the exact right temperature. She is the perfect passenger in the car. That whole entire experience is transformed because my wife is in the car. Jesus does the same thing. He does the same thing in your life. If Jesus dwells in the vehicle of your heart, he brings renewal. He brings life. He transforms the whole thing. Even as I was thinking of this illustration, one of the things that my wife does, it's, I'm so lucky. You guys are going to call me spoiled. We'll go and we'll stop for drive through And then I get back on the road and she will wait until I get up to speed. She'll take my burger. She'll unwrap it and she'll just have it ready for me. Just, I mean, it's like, am I spoiled or what? Right. Listen, God's kindness is just like that. It's so much better. Do you, do you know that Jesus right now is looking at the trajectory of your life? He, he knows what's coming. God knows what tomorrow looks like. It's going to have hardship. You've been promised that, right? You, today has enough trouble. Don't worry about tomorrow. God knows tomorrow. But Jesus is already there and he's got what you need. Just it's waiting for you right there. I'm ready for you. Because the great privilege that you and I have is that our purpose in the family of God is that we would know the love of Jesus so that it transforms our lives. Make no mistake that when Jesus moves in, when he moves into your life, into your heart, to your heart, he reorders everything in that which is both best for you and for that which most glorifies God. All right, fourthly, and this is now our second prayer. I I want you to see that we have a repetition of this in the NIV. In the middle of verse 17, it says, and I pray. And so there's the second half now. I want to focus in on that because the fourth observation is that your family in the church is multidimensional. This is the part that is going to fit into everything that Paul has been teaching us so far. And it's critical that you and I understand the church in the way that God has designed it. So first of all, the multidimensionalness of the church is that it is shaped 
by love. Oh, church family, I can't emphasize to you how critical this is. If you have ever been part of a church where the motivating factor for your attendance, participation, and worship is fear, then you know what a contrast it is to know the love of God. Because we're not shaped by fear. We're not shaped by duty. You and I are shaped, we're formed in our family by God's love. Look with me back in the text once more. Verse 17 in the middle, he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in what? In love. That is the thing that keeps you here. Like a a root, It it is God's love that reminds you and encounters you and brings you back into God's family. Like an anchor for a tree in the winds and the hurricanes of life. Secondly, established. Do you see that verb as well? Rooted and established. So you and I in God's family being shaped by God's love are also built up by love. That's what this idea of establishment means. Um, I, I would love for you to just make a little note on that because this is what next week's sermon is really going to focus on. The, the way in which the church begins to grow and get built up. What I want you to understand is that the first dimension here is that it's shaped by love. Secondly, it is shared in power. The family of God is shared in God's power. Back in the text, you will see that Christ's love dwelling in our hearts comes through the strengthening of power. God's effort working within us. Jump with me down to verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Make sure that you don't lose that pronoun. That's a plural pronoun. Where is the power of God found? In the church. It's in the church. Again, I think I preached on this a while back that we instinctively, because of our culture, want to read this individualistically. That's not to say it's not true. Absolutely. Make sure you understand it's 100% true. God's power is at work within you individually. But that's not the part that Paul here is rejoicing over. It's a, it's a power that's evidenced because it's shared within the body. It's shared within the community. That's where true power comes from. Why do you think it's the devil's greatest goal to divide us? Because it's the strength of the church that comes from our uniting together under what Jesus has done, what the indwelling of the Spirit allows, because that's where the power comes from. It's shared. All right, number three, it traverses national boundaries. One of the ways in which the evil one will seek to bring division within the church is by attempting to limit God's glory through human effort. This was a big issue in Paul's day. The the effort of humans dividing based upon their own traditions, based upon this is the way we've always done it, nationality, straight up uh, racism in many cases, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, you worship in different places. You have different customs. I'd love it to say that this doesn't exist today, but even if you don't see it very much here in Segola, it is, it is rampant throughout the world that the devil will seek to divide based upon 
human, either government, nationalities, languages, whatever that may be. Look with me once more in the text. Verse 18 says that we may have power together with all the saints. How great is that? Power together with all the saints. That was our previous one for the shared power. Power to do what exactly, Paul? Here it is. To grasp how wide and how long. All right, we're going to get a little dimensional here. Uh, We've got four terms that are used. Wide and long look like this. They're, They're on this horizontal plane right here. What Paul is wanting the reader to understand is that the love of God is multinational. Look, look how wide it is. Do you know that there are Christians in other countries? Did you know that? There are Christians in other countries. In fact, almost across the world, almost in every country, almost in every people group and language, almost. That means there's still work to be done, right, missionaries? Still more work to be done. Here's the amazing thing is that God's love is not isolated to one people, to one nation. I want you to know, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to grasp. Do you know what, do you know what grasp means, that verb? It's not just an intellectual ascent. It's, you hold it. Man, I ain't letting go of this. I want you to grasp how wide and how long is the love of Christ. Now, for many of us Gentiles, this is pretty easy to do. I want you to know how difficult that would have been in Paul's day when he writes to Jews who think, look, if you want to become a Christian, that's fine. You can become Jewish first. It's a larger issue. We could talk about it at a Bible study sometime. But here, here's the reality for you and I. The same truth holds for today. When you think of God's love, you need to think of it not with an arm holding anyone away. The love of God looks like this. It's so wide. How, how wide can I look at this? That's what God's doing, as wide as it can be, and how long as it can be, that it would extend to all people. So it traverses national boundaries, and then secondly, it transcends the spiritual dimension as well. So we have another set of coordinates here that come after how wide and how long. It says how high and how deep. Now, I'll just share with you, commentators have some confusion over what this means. Uh, I've given quite a bit of study to this. I'm 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 frankly convinced enough to teach it to you that I believe what Paul has in mind here is a look upon the horizontal to extend God's love to all peoples and then the effect of that love being extended high up into the heavens and down below. That we, in our union for the shared power in the family of God, you will be decreeing the wisdom of God in the heavenly realms and even to the forces of evil under the earth. Right? This is, for the Apostle Paul, a picture of those spiritual forces that are at work. And he is confident that God's love, because of his family, is on display, even in the spiritual realm. Uh, one, one just note, if you wanted a, a further clarification for this, Romans 8.39 references the vast love of God, uh, that there's nothing that can separate us from it. Uh, he, he mentions the word powers. Uh, in verse 39, which is the exact reference to these uh, forces in the heavenly realms. And then he uses the terms how high and deep. So there's nothing high, there's nothing deep. He uses the exact same words that we have here, which is why I have the conclusion that it's the love of God that transcends even the forces in the spiritual realm. Do you see how great God's family is? Do you see the role of God the Father? from which you get his name, the work of the Spirit to empower us. 
the love of Jesus to dwell within us, and then the, the multidimensionality of this new humanity being born onto the earth through the gospel. So what do we do with this today? I want to offer to you uh, four conclusions. I framed these around the interrogatives of questions. So what is the great takeaway from this for us today? Number one, it's this. The Father is able. I hope that that is an encouragement to you today. It didn't matter who teased me on the playground. My dad could kick their butts. Your God is able no matter what you are facing right now. And I know you have some question marks about what lays ahead of you. I know that even you have pressures in our life. I have, like, what's going to happen with this? I don't know. I want you to know the one who does. And to take great hope that God is strong and mighty and he is able. How great is it to belong to his family, right? Your dad's going to kick the devil's butt. (laughs) Whatever evil is set out against you is not at all a hindrance in the might of God's will, because our God is able. Um, I looked up uh, just a a parallel verse for this to kind of establish this particular conclusion in the rest of the New Testament. Do you know how many times the Bible says that God is able? All the time, like all over the place. You have this great declaration of God's ability. Primarily, and this again is a little bit of a longer discussion, but primarily it's around the fact that you will not lose your salvation. That's how God is able. Like, you could be tempted to a lot of things, but God will make you stand. For those who belong to him, God is able. And so I wanted to include just what I think is perhaps one of the best doxological benedictions in the New Testament found at the end of the book of Jude. Jude writes, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. I want you to know, church, You can take this home with you today with whatever you're facing. Number one, God is able. All right, so how does this help us? Well, because the Spirit's strength is working within us. The Spirit's strength is at work. Have you, uh, anybody driven down Stevenson recently? You see they got the yellow cones out? What's that mean? Under construction. That's right. I bet if we took a little spiritual microscope into your heart today, we might see some yellow cones. Anybody there? I want you to know that is really good news. That's really good news. Because what that means is that God is at work. And so you and I traveling through this life, we might have moments of question, fear, doubt. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. Hold on. Still under construction. He's working on me right now. He's got this amazing renovation that's happening in my life. Look with me back in verse 20. You guys with me in the Bible? Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. God is working on you right now. I want you to see the encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy on this same same issue. So Timothy here placed to outline God's Design within the church, this is the encouragement Paul says to him. For this reason, I want to remind you to fan, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us afraid. It does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, self-discipline. God's at work in me. 
And because God's at work in me and in you, he is alive and working in the whole family. I just want to share with you if you can think through moments in your own extended family where there have been difficulties. Anyone been there? Have you ever seen that where it's it's so easy for family, isn't it, to, to harm and to hurt and to offend? I pray that hopefully you've seen repairs over time and through kindness there. But I want to make sure that you do not take for granted what you have in front of you right here. That as you look across the church, as you look across the aisle, across the pew, that you just know what a rare privilege that it is to have a family who loves you. And to know that that love is part of the power of God's spirit at work within you. So let's, let's kind of get those cones racked up, right? Let's grow up. Let's keep maturing, moving on to higher and bigger and better ways to God to work within us. Thirdly is this, it's the who. So who, who is who's receiving the blessing of this? Who, who, who is this to be directed towards? And Christ's transforming love is designed to be generational. I love this idea. I, I don't think that there's anything better for an example to see the purpose of our work and effort than when we look at our children. Amen? Um, it's cliche enough to say, like, the children are the future. Well, yes. Duh. All right. We get it. Children are such a blessing. And I want you to know, church, they are under attack. Your children are under attack. And it will not be enough for only a mom and dad to fight that battle alone. Do you know who they need? They need the church. Tur- turn to your neighbor and say they need you. They need you. The whole family of God working together to pass this faith on. Look with me back into the text once more. Look at verse 21. Uh, It says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. When the Apostle Peter was was, uh, preaching his first sermon to declare the blessing of God's promises, I want to share with you how he relates this. This comes from Acts chapter 2. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's the picture for joining into the church, right? Join into a community in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who fear the... for all whom the Lord our God will call. Do you see who the, who the promise is for? It's for the children. It's for the next generation. And so I want to make sure that we do a pretty good job here. I think for the most part, this church is 100% on board that one of the greatest priorities that we have is focusing on that next generation. Be reminded of that today on virtue of knowing this is a family. It's a family. One of the greatest things that I experienced on the mission field uh, was that as little kids would be misbehaving in church, and they don't mean to, they're little, right? So they're wandering, you know, they're just doing what little kids do. Um, I I could not figure out who the parent was when I'd go to these churches because any any local native person would just pick up the kid and and then would, you know, smack them or whatever they do. They'd get them in line, sit them next to them. And then later the kid would be moving and someone else would pick up the kid and, and help him out. What a, what a beautiful picture of the church as a family, isn't it? And that we would continue in that same line. Because our culture isn't the same, right? Our, don't, don't tell me how to parent. I'll tell you. How to, right? That, we're a little bit uh, offended by that. But listen, we can do better if we remember that we belong to a new family. 
And that Christ's transforming love, as it's worked out in your life, is designed to be passed down generationally. All right, lastly, fourthly, where does this happen? Obviously, as this whole sermon's been about, it happens in the church. So once more into verse 21, to him be glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. The church does this because we follow Jesus. This goes all the way back to what was one of our very first messages. Do you remember? Uh, Jesus is the new what? Do you remember what it is? He's the new head from which the, the entire body takes its marching orders to know how to work. What do I do? What's my role? Everybody's listening to the head. And so same is true for you and I. That glory is given to God in the church as you and I learn to follow after Jesus. I want to share with you just a quick story. Uh, This was three years ago. It was in November. Uh, One of the jobs that Micah and I get to do together, he he totally, totally rolls his, doesn't roll his eyes. Raking leaves, right? This time of year, raking leaves. And so we were out raking leaves and I, I forget what actually the hindrance was, but I ended up having to be pulled away. And because of whatever I was working on, I actually forgot about Micah. And this was three years ago. He was a lot smaller back then. I looked out the window, and do you know what I saw? I saw my kid out there raking leaves. I looked at the thermometer. It was 41 degrees. And he's out there just little Micah working away. Now, do you suppose it's because he wants better taxes on our home and to beautify the neighborhood? Do you suppose it's because he loves raking? Is that why he's out there? Why is he out there? He's trying to glorify who? His father. He's trying to honor his father. Listen, the same is opportunity for you and I in the church. When you obey God, when you follow after his design, he's looking through the window of heaven. He's like, check them out. Look at them Sogolites. Sogolians. What are we called? Youpers. Uh, look at, you know. <laughs> Look at those rednecks down there, just loving me, (laughs) working so hard. Because God is glorified in the church. And that's why we do what we do. Um, Listen, sometimes you need a pat on the back. I'm so thankful for pastor appreciation. Thank you. Thank you all so much for the pat on the back today. That means the world to me. But I don't do it for that. I don't tell anyone, but I do this job for free. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) It's because I love God. And I, I would want the same from you, that the work that you do is not so someone looks at me. So I get my name in the paper. So when, when am I going to get a plaque on the wall for mine? That's not why we do it. We do it to glorify God's name. Even when no one's looking, even when it's 41 degrees out and I got other things I'd like to do, I'm going to serve him because glory is given through the agency of the church. So what do we do with this? I only have one primary application for you to think through today uh, applied through a few questions let me encourage you to embrace the whole family of god that you may truly know the unknowable love of god now in paul's day that was a jew gentile issue that's where they really struggled i was thankful that i had a a a member talk to me this last week and say boy your sermon last week was a Because I got this person who God's working on me for. And I hear that and I just say, praise the Lord. I I hope there's someone in your life that God's challenging you to forgive. 
to come clean with, to reunite with. And do you know what you're doing when you, when you do this? You're embracing the whole family of God. You're not playing favorites. Like, I'm hugging you. You're hugging everybody. I, I also want us to apply this beyond our own scope because our church is larger than this little gathering. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church. And we have brothers and sisters that are worshiping right now in other places, other streets, with slightly different traditions than what we have. They as well are your brothers and sisters. Now, as soon as I say that, I almost need to add an important caveat that here we're not universalists. We believe, as the scripture teaches, that there ought to be certain differences and particularly divisions over truth. The Apostle Paul in many places says that he hands over to Satan, one who is rebelling against God for the redemption of their soul. And so we know that there are times that we need to be wise in how and where we come together. But be very careful with that because it's so easy to divide. You know, we're already divided. Just whatever name is on the sign of the church has divided us. So this is usually not very hard. Let me instead bring the heaviness of the application to the encouragement of embracing. I think we can do better there. Let me ask you just a couple of questions for how this plays out in your life. You have these in your sermon notes. Number one, are, you rela- are your relational commitments in the church being defined by God's spirit? When I was young, my mom would tell my sister and I when we were fighting, you are all you have. She'd say it like that. That's a really good impression of my mom, by the way. <laughs> You, you, know, you, don't, you don't have any other brothers to my sister. And to me, you don't have any other sisters. It was just the two of us. I remember that. I probably heard it a lot, actually, because, because we're pretty competitive, my sister and I. It stuck with me, though. It really did. To the point where I repeat that to my kids sometimes. Hey, you are all you have for one another. You are each other's best friends. There's nobody who knows you better than your sibling in your home. We, we have the same thing coming from God. You, you're all you have. This is it. This is what the family of God looks like for your relationship right here. So you need to make sure that you are defining those commitments to one another, not based upon your preference. Because if it is, we have lots of division. What's easy can't be based on that either. It's going to be hard to to reconcile with folks. It's going to take work and effort. You need to ask the question, are those commitments defined according to God's spirit? There's a lot more I want to say on this. We're going to get to it as we get to chapter 6. I just want to highlight one last thing before we move to the, to the next one. The Apostle Paul is going to give a really, really deep insight into why we struggle with one another. The scriptures at large will blame it on sin, right? Sinners guilty? Yes. All right. Well, beyond that, where do we get divisions? And the Apostle Paul says, your battle is not against flesh and blood. This comes in chapter 6. We're going to get into it deep when we reach chapter 6. But just listen to a preview, preview now. Your battle with one another, it's not with one another. There are spiritual forces of evil that are seeking to divide. That is your enemy. That is where the battle lies. So you have one another. And the places where we seek to find uh, grudges and bitterness against one another is where we have become susceptible to the work of the evil one and his strategy. Another question I want to give you... um, Is your life characterized by the rulership of Christ in your heart? So your life here being the key issue. Is your life characterized by the rule of Jesus in your heart? This is what our text said this morning. Do you remember this in verse 17? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Well, is he? 
Because here's the deal. If you, have, if you find that there's just a lot of annoying people, there's a lot of people I don't get along with, ask yourself, what's the common denominator in that equation? It might not be them. It might be you. And so at, at every level where the orange construction cones show up in your life, make sure that you and I are seeking to have our own behavior, that our lives are characterized looking more like Jesus and less like us. And that'll, that will help the family altogether. All right, um, I wanted to give you this. This is, this is phenomenal. This comes from 1 John at the beginning. I know you're familiar with it. Uh, John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, that's God, yet we walk in darkness. So, so oh, I love Jesus, but I'm living in sin. It says we lie and we do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what do you think the next thing he's going to say is? Because I imagine the next thing that John's going to say is, well, we have fellowship with him, but it's not. It says we have fellowship with one another. How incredible is that? I remember just in studying Ephesians here for the nature of this family, that you're coming to God on his terms, confessing your sins, knowing that you are not perfect. Do you know what that will produce for you? Not just a right relationship reconciled with God. You're going to have a right relationship reconciled with one another. Do you see it? We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so the reason why you might not enjoy fellowship with one another might not be the other person. It might be sin in your life because you, your life is not being characterized right now by the indwelling. And by that, I mean the rulership, Jesus as Lord in your life. All right, last one. Are you a contributing member of God's family in cooperation to bring him glory? I think we are so blessed at our little local church here because there's many opportunities to serve, right? If you, if you haven't, you can sign up this morning, right? The, the clipboards are in the back. It's not like it's hiding from you. They're right there. You can be involved. But do you know how many churches don't have those opportunities? There isn't a call and expectation to get everybody on board, everybody serving together. It happens more often than you'd think. And I think all the way back to the story of Genesis, um, Cain kills his brother. You guys know the story, right? God approaches him and says, where's your brother? Do you remember what Cain said? Am I my brother's keeper? I, I think that we have an echo of that same sentiment that kind of travels today in our depravity. Well, do I really need to be involved? Do I really need to be the one that encourages somebody else? Don't we pay the pastor to do that? Haven't we hired someone else to do that job? I want you to know that you need to be involved. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says this to them. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That's pretty strict, huh? If you're not going to help, you don't get to share in the blessings of that service. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as far as you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who doesn't obey our instruction in this letter. Watch this now. Don't associate with them. Why? Because they're outside the family? Not so. Look what he says. Don't associate with them in order that they may be ashamed, yet do not regard them as an enemy 
but admonish them as a brother. Now, th- this was easier to do uh, when I was little. I see it in my own kids' lives. Um, because we were going on this little trip to Chicago, uh, uh, Emily had, had to work. I was working on this with the kids. They were playing video games because kids head off school. Come on, that's what kids do. You get it. So I told them, we're going to turn the video games off, and before your mom gets home, we're going to clean the house for her. Now, what happens if you, if you put kids in charge of cleaning the house? He's doing more than me. She's not doing, she's not doing this. He's not doing enough. I hear that back there. I can hear you. <laughs> it's easy to complain in the family when you know somebody's not pitching in. This was from Tom's message to the children this morning, right? It's not so much that you need us. We need you. We need you. Use the gift that God's given you. Get involved. Not everybody does the same. The the work's not equal amongst everybody with what they do, but everyone does something. And that's the call that we have here because when we do, we are truly now acting like the family of God. No favoritism, right? God's 100% extended his love to all of us here. And when you see this in the family of God, here's the awesome thing, you will be able to know that love that surpasses knowledge. How can God love me and this person the same? It makes no sense. It's unknowable. In the family of God, it will be seen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.